0: Welcome to the Ronin Rescue Cast, number eighty. Wow, can't believe we're at eighty already. Uh, for this one here, you're going to listen to my voice for about ten minutes, just on some change management. We've had quite a few questions regarding, you know, this is really cool. I want to go to eleven mil. I want to buy clutches, etc., so forth and so on. How do I do that? How do I push that through my department? Uh, before we jump into that, though. Uh, Just to say, we've got some great podcasts coming up. We've got some great interviews with some fairly interesting people uh, chatting about some different types of theories out there for rescue, chatting about some different events. Uh, We've just had people come back from both Grimp Day in September in Namur as staff, and we had people come back from uh, Mesmu in Porto, Mesmu in Porto um, as staff as well. And that was in October, had some folks over teaching in, uh, Belgium as well. both the RTR over there in Rotterdam, the RTR down in Florida and a SPRAC course over in Belgium as well. So we're certainly having some conversations with some of these folks about teaching over there and doing things overseas. But as I mentioned, this one in particular is going to be on change. And like I said, right at the very beginning, there is a lot of cool stuff that's coming out now. There's a lot of great technological advances. And, you know, I feel the pain of people out there. Yes, I'm in a fortunate position with fire department that I have the ability to influence change in the fire department. And at this point in my career, I don't get a lot of pushback. There's other organizations that I belong to though, however, where change is much slower to occur. And generally the larger the organization, especially in government, the more complex it is to push change through that system. And when you look at things like the technological advancements in rope rescue right now, predominantly on the manufacturing side, there's certainly a good conversation to be had around why we should change. So in no particular order here, first thing when you wanna do change, and I'm looking at this from a fire department or a search and rescue point of view, police department, anybody that works government. If you're working private industry, some of these are applicable, absolutely, but these are more for the government organization and everybody out there that works for a government organization right now is laughing because I mean, we can hammer on the old cliches forever. I mean, what are the two things firemen hate more than anything? The way things are and change. Um, And yes, I am in that career field. So, you know, I am taking a bit of a poke at myself there. But yes, once again, no particular order. Make a list. And this sounds really basic, but it's fairly important. Because if you make a list and it's literally, you know, four pages long, you're gonna have to take that list and you're gonna have to break it up into bite-sized chunks or you're gonna get pushed out really fast. The folks, the decision makers in your department, it's not to say you can't try to get everything on that list, but you're gonna have to spread it out over some time. And you go, okay, what do I decide to go for when? Uh, Hopefully we can touch on that a bit. Once you make the list, price the list have that information available. The first thing people are gonna to wanna to know up the chain of command is why do we need this change? The next thing they're gonna to wanna to know almost immediately thereafter is how much is this change going to cost? So you wanna have that number immediately available. It it, it can't be a hidden thing. It can't be like shopping with your wife or your husband where it's like, oh yeah, I want these $700 pair of shoes and they're, uh, yeah, they're $600 and change. Now you're going to have to come clean on these ones and go straight out with the costs. So make sure that's available. Now, when we talk about what do we decide to go for first, safety's an issue and finances is an issue. You want to try to break these up so that if there is a safety concern, obviously that's to the top of your list. Barring that, break it down over bite-sized chunks. Hey, we got to replace twelve thousand dollars worth of gear. We could do it maybe over two budget years. We could look at buying some stuff late budget year, you know, twenty twenty-two. Buy the rest of it early budget year, twenty twenty-three. From a using point out there, you know, the end user, the person on the truck, it's not gonna be a lot of, you know, concern about stuff coming in a month or two months apart, depending on when your budget system quits allowing you to buy things. Um, And, you know, bringing stuff in right into the new budget year. It's a good way to split things over a year end. The other reason to have these prices readily available in your head There's a lot of government organizations that have to spend the money or they lose it. So you get into these situations that come, you know, November-ish for our organizations. It might be, you know, generally we do waste all or spend all our money, Freudian slip there. But if you have items that you want to see implemented into your systems, and you know the prices off the top of your head, if that chief comes downstairs, that SAR manager, that inspector, whomever it may be, and goes, hey, we've got a spare 1200 bucks to spend, you can jump on your phone. You can get to that list and go, hey, I need you know, four flux capacitors and three new protractions. It's 1200 bucks. Oh, is it? Yeah, boom. You've got that information sitting there readily in front of you. Figure out who it is that you need to speak to about buying equipment. Do you have to speak to someone internal in your organization? Who do they need to speak to? Who has the final say on this? And sometimes this is multifaceted. Um, a lot of times, a deputy chief goes across the street in a city or environment and goes to purchasing. And purchasing may have different parameters around what is being purchased than you. So, speak to folks. Figure out where your allies are kind of in that change. Figure out where your holdups might be. Present a business plan. As crazy as that sounds, I know we're all firemen. Before I was one, I could hardly spell one. But now, I mean, that's kind of what people want to see. They want to see that justification for their cost. Especially if you're dealing with a purchasing agent or a purchasing department within your organization. If you're working for city or above government, state, regional, provincial, they're going to want to see some sort of um, business plan for that. Use a change management model in the business plan. Hey, we're making this change because of. We'll get into some change management models in a real quick sec as i just alluded to speak to folks find out where your allies are and where the friction points are going to be we changed over from 12 and a half to 11 mil rope 6 7 years ago in my fire department maybe a little longer there was folks that were dead set on running 125 there was a lot of folks that were hey you know what we want to move to 11 the majority wanted to move to 11 that's great. You know where your allies are. You know you can take the day. You can have the vote. You can win the vote. Unless you want those other instructors quitting, though, you need to bring them on board. You need to understand where the friction points are and understand their reasons for not wanting to see that change move through and work with them on that. If you can get an entire technical rescue committee, or a rope rescue committee, or your rope rescue instructors, or whomever it is that's responsible for the program in your organization, if they can all be on the same page, it works out a lot better. You don't have a dissenting voice of opinion amongst the team. Much harder for people up the chain of command than to poke holes into your systems. Excuse me. Get your allies on board and have them spread the word. This isn't just a budgeting problem. I mean, that's part of it. You're looking up the chain of command. I need money, I need to buy this. You're also looking at an implementation issue. I've got to push this down through the chain. I got to put this out through the ranks. Hey, everybody now needs to understand we're moving to 11 mil rope. Everybody needs to understand You know, we're getting rid of MPDs and going to clutches or whatever the case may be. I'm using my department as a bit of an example. And there's going to have to be some sort of conversation, some sort of plan in place. Because when I go to that chief and say, Hey, first of all, I want to spend $12,000 of your money. Here's my business case for why I want to do that. Once we get through the reasons why the costs and where that's all acceptable. The next question is going to be is, how is this going to affect us operationally? How are we going to get this information out to the masses that need this information? So there will have to be, nowadays, some paperwork, some sort of operational plan as to how that's going to occur. This is also where your allies come into play. The majority of the crowd isn't going to care one way or another. You know, you've got a, I'm going to do some simple math here, you know. Say you've got a 50-person fire department. There's probably 10%, five people, that are adamant about making the change. There's probably 5%, maybe 10%, two and a half to five people that are adamant about not making the change. The other 40% or sorry, 40 people in that department or, you know, your 80%, probably don't care one way or another, as long as it's explained to them, as long as they're trained on the new system, and it makes sense as it goes through, you're not gonna get any resistance from the vast majority. So you've gotta get your allies to get the words down to the, the vast majority of the people, or your opponents will spread the word themselves and try to swing people if it's a controversial change. And people go, how controversial can it be going from 12 and a half to 11? In our department, that change took about two years. We did lose instructors that quit after it. I know other departments that have done the same thing, and the same things have occurred. They've lost instructors that refused to teach on 11 mil. Uh, they've lost instructors. I've seen departments lose them that refuse to have gone to TTRS, to intention rope systems. So these are real concerns. There'll be people out there that are adamant about not making that change. And you're gonna piss some people off. I mean, that's just the facts of life. Try to bring the majority with you, you know, put the information out, be open, be positive about it, go where there is, where that is. Be open, be positive. So it's easiest to be open and positive when you start in areas where there is consensus. Hey, everybody thinks we need new slings for whatever reason. We used to use the RSI Omni slings. Great piece of equipment. Got the little pockets in it. Don't see them a lot anymore. At some point, somebody decided that we should pass the sling back through the pocket so we have a single point on the carabiner. From there, we ended up in a situation in which we did not clip both pockets. It was on a change of direction, rope moved, wasn't catastrophic. You know, some of the investigation that went forward with that did come up with, hey, we want to move to different slings. It's a bit of a knee jerk. It's not the actual fault of what happened. I mean, everybody that's probably listening to this podcast going, like, where's the safety checks? Where's, you know, these other things that come into play? agreed but the easiest thing to deal with was hey we want to change out the slings there's consensus there right on we need to change this safety committee wants to change union wants to change rope rescue people want to change management wants to change okay so monetarily we could might be able to push for a little bit more now because we have consensus across the board if there was a particular sling that we wanted to move to that might have been a tad more expensive This is where you can start to leverage these things because you have consensus in doing it. Um, It's a marathon, not a sprint. If you're going to make large institutional changes in your department, don't get frustrated. I just said in ours, it took two years to go from 12 and a half to 11 The cool thing about this is once the first change is implemented, once the first people have seen, hey, we've had some success with this, after that, the ball, you know, starts rolling faster and faster. We went from MPD to clutches almost overnight. Protractions, yeah, just buy them. And that change now has gotten quicker and quicker. It was tough going from dedicated main, dedicated belay, DMDB, to TTRS and going from 12 and a half down to 11. Once that happened, once, you know, that ice was cracked, we lost some people, as I said, absolutely. Once management trusted the fact that we weren't wasting money on things, the rest of it becomes a lot faster. But it does take some time to get to that stage. Um, once you submit the request don't harass the people that are responsible for spending that money but don't let let them off the hook either you know the old um what was it that show zero dark 30 or whatever where she's writing the number on the wall that's probably going to get under some people's skin fairly quickly but if you know you have a battalion chief in charge of purchasing or a deputy chief and they happen to come out and you know see the crews once a week, once every couple of weeks. And he walks in the door and goes, you know, good morning, how's it going? You know, you could start off with the old, ah, it's an excellent day, chief. You know what would make it even better? A little bit of 11 mil rope on our trucks. It's positive. It's not condescending, but it lets him know that, hey, I'm still thinking about this. I still want to move this. And you're not doing it in a way that's annoying him or her on every single day. So, moving more away from the budget and more into the products. I wanna change systems. You need to be an expert on what you're going to change into. A lot of change, I mean, some people just like to argue. Um, some people though are truly concerned. Scared is probably not the right word, but have some concerns about the the movement to this what's a smaller diameter rope hell i've been told my entire career that i had to have this you know monstrosity of cable otherwise i was going to die there's a lot of people that were brought up in that system so you need to have facts to dispel that fear you need to use things like nfpa and your local ohns regs and, and things and standards for instance and regulations that people generally refer to, generally understand, and say, hey, you know, this actually was only ever in NFPA for a brief snippet of time back when, you know, most of the people on this job pre- were pre-hire. Um, you know, they were still in elementary school and these changes were made in the NFPA, but yet we're still doing them and it's safe because of the following reasons. So you need to get that message out. You need to be an expert. You need to be able to take Um, that information and get it out to the masses. Let someone else take the accolades for the idea if required. If the goal of the change is to get yourself promoted, you're probably not doing it for the right reasons. If the goal of the change is for the betterment of a program or the betterment of, you know, the department or something within the department, Who cares who gets the accolades for it as long as the change occurs? Um, There's other units and specialty units within the fire department that may have a requirement for items that you need. So we lost our confined space program, our rescue program, for a brief snippet of time. And it was political, and there might have been some headbutting between some people, myself included. The thing with it is, is the hazmat team and the city both relied on the fire department to provide rescue standby should their workers go into a space. It was in our operational guidelines, it was in a whole bunch of places. So felt it was probably somebody like mine's duty to write a letter just indicating to these folks that unfortunately we would, you know, due to, you know, some budget constraints and some changes in opinion within the fire service that we'd no longer be able to provide that service. So we sent that to the HAZMAT team. And now, of course, the HAZMAT team had to reach out some of the people that they deal with in the public and say, hey, we're going to have to, you know, have a take a look at what we're doing here and we reached out of course to the city and said you're gonna to have to find yourself another rescue provider you're gonna to have to take the fire department outside of your rescue plants now nothing else on our end needed to be done we got confined space rescue back very quickly we got a budget to rebuy all of the things that were then removed and we were able to upgrade because once we got that budget we were able to manipulate it a little bit in order to get what we needed What city hall take the accolades for that change now fire department has to have technical rescue we need it for the betterment of our parks and engineering staff our parks and rec staff our engineering staff hazmats out there knocking on the chief's door hey we need rescue to have this we can just sit back and do nothing let those people lead the charge it keeps your name from being the one that's getting brought up every two minutes hey look Mark's back at the door knocking, wanting more money. Now, someone else is at the door now knocking, asking for money. Is it going to help Mark? And it can help the rescue team and help the department? Absolutely. But let somebody else move it forward. Safety is probably the biggest reason we hear for changes. And the problem with safety is it's a statistic, and you can skew statistics any way you want. The big push for us to 11 mil came when we had, uh, I want to say it was a 500 and some odd foot tower crane get installed in the city for one of the new apartment blocks. We needed 600 foot ropes. The difference between 12.5 and 11 at 600 feet is 10 pounds or 4.7 kilograms for everybody listening in Europe and north of the 49. You had two bags of this. We're talking a 20 pound difference now between these two bags of rope. It was one of the ways we were able to convince people to move towards the 11 mil system was just the pure mass of rope, the bags that were needed to store it, the amount of effort that was needed to haul it. And we didn't want to say it was a safety issue. You know, we certainly could have gone down that road. But I think a lot of folks try to play the safety card in places it shouldn't be played and people kind of get tired of it. So just think about that and you can take a look at that and make the argument operationally. You can make the argument via safety if you want, but operationally and ergonomically, you don't even have to bring up the word safety. It's kind of implied, but it helps move through. The other one that's a really good one is not so much safety, but task saturation. So we changed from MPDs to clutches. One of the bigger reasons we did it was we can repel with a clutch and we like to send a rescuer over the edge, a medic. We can lower with a clutch. We can run TTRS with a clutch. We can run DMDB with a clutch. We can't do all of that with an MPD. When we had MPDs, we also had IDs because Obviously, repelling with an MPD is a bit difficult. The fire service, you know, we hear this um, jack of all trades, master of none. Most fire services out there, there's a plethora of any given day of things to do. And so, if we can make the rescue system simpler, yes, we can go back and play safety, but generally, this is an operational thing. We're removing task saturation from our staff and we're allowing them to train on certain pieces of equipment and be more repetitive on those particular pieces of equipment, which makes it easier training. Generally, it's quicker training. And as long as we can utilize the same training time, we can get more accomplished because we're not swapping through different devices. Um, Another one, for instance, that comes up, you know, adding prospects for whistle stopping your device versus just buying a whistle stop device, um, old school changeovers versus using an Aztec to pass a odd or a load transfer versus, you know, devices that are bi-directional and, you know, do progress capture. All of those things have occurred over the years, and it just removes some of the task saturation and the complexity of the system and makes it more available for all. Now, I I promised that I'd talk about a couple of real quick change models. If you're gonna send up a document for some change within your system to your chiefs, you're doing a business proposal, for some budget funds, you're gonna do some operational planning in order to talk about how this is gonna flow down and be rolled out. There's a couple of theories out there or models that are generally more usable with the fire service or the police department or paramedics or your SAR team or your USAR team, just because we are government employees and it's just a certain way. And once you hear it, you'll kind of see them between the lines here. So nudge theory relies, oh sorry, nudge theory is the first one. Nudge theory relies on a subtle indirect suggestions that are backed up by evidence so that employees will be nudged in the direction of the change that you desire. The premises is that nudging change is more effective than strictly enforcing change. Below are the theory's basic principle. Define the changes, consider the employee point of view. For us, the floor, the masses. Provide evidence to show the best options. Percent the change as a choice, listen to the feedback, limit the options, solidify the change with some short-term wins. This really gets people involved. As we all know, if the masses are generally on board, the chiefs are going to be like, yeah, buy it, do it, change it, whatever it takes, go talk to the training office, you know, get them to schedule it, and they step back. It's the masses in the department, though, that are really going to, Make this change fly or not change, uh, not fly. You know, you might have one rescue. You might have a couple rescues. You might have a backup hall. You might have squads. Depends on what size you are. You need to get all those people on board. And if you're in a smaller department where they expect everyone to have some base of knowledge, this really becomes paramount because the masses get some input into this especially when you're presenting your change as one of those choices. And listen to the feedback. They, somebody might come up with a better nut or bolt in this case, you know, the better flux capacitor. And you might go, hey, you know what? I was going down root X, but root Y is actually a little bit better. And that's the joy of that. There's some smart people in the services that we work, and this gives them a chance to give you some of that feedback. The other one is the ADKAR, the ADKAR Change Management Model. And much like Nudge Theory, these are both employee bottom-up change models. So the ADKAR model is a bottom-up method created by Jeffrey Hyatt. It puts the focus on the people behind the change. This is not a sequential method. Each letter in the acronym represents a goal to be reached as an organization. So. Once again, A-D-K-A-R, A, awareness. So the awareness of the need for change. And most of the time, if you sit around a table at any one of the organizations I've mentioned, you'll get a lot of opinion on what needs to be changed. D, the desire. The desire to participate in and support the change. These are your champions. These are the majority of people that we talked about earlier. K, knowledge, knowledge on how to change. So this is, hey, I want to go to 11 mil and clutches because it's going to remove some task saturation remove some weight from our equipment. And we're able, you know, to train up more people or less people more effectively. That's some knowledge around why we're doing this. You know, these are the devices. These are the standards they meet. This is why it's safe for us to use them. The next A, ability, the ability to implement requires skills and behavior. So this is the actual implementation. This is the nuts and bolts of, hey, you know, chief training officer or whomever might be responsible or your rescue captains or whomever that is. This is how we're going to implement this change. So we're going to, you know, do X, Y, Z. We're going to train up these folks. We're going to train up those folks. You know, that's the sequential order of how this is going to work. And the R, reinforcement. How are we going to sustain the change? How are we going to, you know, have the follow-up training? How often are we going to do that? What does that look like? And a lot of this, like you say, is based on the operational plan that comes into place to actually implement the change. Just getting a yes doesn't help. That can get you some funding. It can get you a bunch of cool gear and a box on the bay floor. It doesn't actually get that onto the truck and get people actually using it. So you do need some sort of, you know, you don't have to follow these exactly, but if you look at both of these, like I said, they're employee bottom-up change methods or models. They use employee feedback. Take that feedback. There could be, you know, previous instructors in your programs that are like, hey, if you thought about this, there would be great ideas that come out of that. And they need to have the buy-in or you're never going to get it out of the box on the bay floor, that next piece where, you know, Billy and Sally and Joe and all those guys have to go out and hang off of this new rope or rappel off that new device or play with that new piece of gear and get enough comfort with it, enough comfort, sorry, with it, that they're able to go out and use it when needed for an actual rescue. I mean, that's the goal is to simplify the system and move forward. So hopefully that's not too much rambling. Um, that's real quick. We tried to knock it out here in, you know, 29 minutes, 30 minutes. Uh, just to answer those questions from a lot of these folks that come up and go, hey, I really want to get this cool kit. I think these are the reasons we need it. I just need some help making my way and getting this change moved. Once again, we have got some great podcasts coming up. Interviews starting with 81. We'll be chatting with some folks in Hawaii. We're going to be chatting with some arborists again. We're going to be chatting with some people with some different theories about rescue. We're going to be talking to some people that are working overseas. could to be a good go. At any rate, thanks for listening.